And so now, good and gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, preachers everywhere cringed a little bit when they came to today's lectionary text from Luke's gospel. I admit I was one of them. These words, according to Luke, are the first words of Jesus in his first public address, not this time inside a synagogue, but outside in the open. He's speaking now to a great crowd of his followers. Most of them have never seen him in person. They've heard stories about him. His legend is growing. Uh, But they've never heard his actual voice until now. And I want you to try to imagine these as the first words you ever heard Jesus say. You who are poor, how blessed you are. God's kingdom belongs to you. You who are hungry, how fortunate you are, you'll be filled up. You who are weeping, blessed are you, you shall laugh. You who are hated, excluded, reviled for my sake, how blessed you are, such reward is coming for you in heaven. And woe to you who are rich, you've got your reward. Woe to you who are full now, you're going to be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, grief and mourning will be yours. And oh, you who are well spoken of by everyone, woe to you. They always did speak well of successful imposters. Plenty of churches these days are are filled with people who don't realize Jesus talked that way. If this were known about him in some circles, his polling numbers would drop, I promise. This speech sounds like left-wing economics. Blessed are the poor, woe to you, rich. Or maybe they do know he said such words, but can't imagine that he actually meant them. Jesus was all about spiritual things, wasn't he? As a matter of fact, as some of you know, another New Testament gospel, Matthew, offers a different version of these blessings that's completely spiritual in nature. Where Luke records, blessed are you poor, Matthew records, blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke has, blessed are you who hunger now. Matthew has, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Luke says, woe to you rich and woe to you who are full Matthew says nothing of the kind. So, did Matthew do a little augmenting in some places and deleting in others in his version to make the point, maybe, that Jesus didn't mean this rich and poor talk too literally? Or, as some claim, are Matthew and Luke simply reporting on two entirely different sermons? I don't know. What I do know is that most churches, at least in North America, have cherished the version given by Matthew and been mostly silent on the economic version given by Luke. You can find Matthew's Beatitudes printed on cards, painted on canvas, cross-stitched on pillows, and set to music, but find no such artistic versions at all of blessed are you poor and woe to you rich. 
which is kind of surprising because, in fact, the Gospels are full of such pronouncements. Let me name some from Luke's Gospel alone. Chapter 1, Mary gets pregnant and sings, God has filled the hungry and sent the rich away empty. Chapter 3, John the Baptist tells the crowd how to repent. If you've got two coats, give one away and do the same thing with your food. Chapter 4, Jesus' very first sermon in a synagogue launches his preaching ministry with this. The Spirit is on me to bring good news to the poor. Chapter 12, he tells of a rich man whose solution to abundance is building more storage. And God says to him, you fool, these things require your soul this very night. Chapter 16, another parable. Rich man dies, goes to Hades. Poor man Lazarus dies, wakes up in paradise. Not a word is said about either man's faith. Only this to the rich man. You had your good things. Now Lazarus is comforted. Chapter 14, Jesus says, if you give a dinner, invite the poor. Chapter 18, he tells a devout rich man, you lack only one thing. Give all you've got to the poor. And camels fit easier through a needle's eye than rich people fit into God's kingdom. And Jesus in Luke cheered only one rich man. The one in chapter 19, whose name was Zacchaeus, who said, I'll give half of what I own to the poor. And for what I got from them unjustly, I'll make reparation four times the amount. And that's just in Luke's gospel. This isn't even the entire New Testament, not to mention the enormous swaths of the Hebrew Bible that are filled with God's abiding concern for the poor. Chapters and chapters of the Torah And the prophets, Amos, Habakkuk, Micah, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Isaiah. And with such overwhelming evidence, how is it that so many of us don't seem to see it? With such clear, consistent words from Jesus and elsewhere in Scripture, how extraordinary that so many North American Christians seem oblivious to God's claims about poverty and wealth. It sort of makes you wonder if all our other activities in congregational life, our love of theological discussion, our enthusiasm for growing church, our zeal for liturgical forms, our endless busyness with committees, it makes you wonder if all of that isn't in part, perhaps unintended, but nonetheless a real system for avoiding the unmistakable call of God to do justice and to pursue compassion in this world. And of course that's not all we're here for. We know this. We're here as well to praise and to pray. We're here to forgive and to be forgiven. We're here to love friends and family and to do good work and to play and to sing and create and to bear witness to God's redeeming love for the world. All of that. Yes, yes. Our faith isn't merely changing the social order. But Jesus did say to us, woe to you who are rich. You have your reward, and blessed are you poor. God's kingdom belongs to you. 
This isn't a random word from him. He keeps finding different ways again and again to say it. And so anyone who doesn't somehow live in solidarity with the poor is not living in the company of Jesus. Why does he show such preference for the poor? Why does he call poor people blessed and assume and and assure them that God's kingdom belongs to them? Why? Not because poor people are superior people. The poor are no better than anybody else. Jesus favors the poor because of God, who opposes suffering, loathes injustice, and hates the hardships and indignities that poverty imposes on people. So God, according to scripture, pulls for the poor, takes their side in compassion and in mercy. And yet, friends, And this is really good news for us. Jesus' compassion isn't only for those who have little, but also for those of us who have more than enough, which is pretty much almost everybody in this room, I'm assuming. If you ask one of about 90% of the world's population to have a look inside your place or mine, they would tell us we are, without question, rich. But Richard Rohr puts it this way, and I love this. He said, Jesus didn't call us to the poor and to the pain only to be helpful to them, but also for our own transformation. The poor man or woman outside is an invitation to me to sit with my own poverty inside. The suffering person's poverty is visible and external. Mine might be invisible and internal, but just as real. Rohr says, I can't despise the person on welfare when I realize I'm on God's welfare. It all becomes one truth. The inner and the outer reflect one another. We see this reality reflected on a macro scale in our nation this very day. President Trump is right. There is a national emergency, though not as he assumes. The poverty of women and men and children coming to our southern border is holding up a mirror for our country. There is a poverty that all the power and wealth in the world cannot heal. The gospel of Jesus says that as he went about the cities and the towns healing people and proclaiming God's news, when he saw crowds of people, he didn't declare an emergency. Matthew and Mark tells us he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And oh my goodness, the great Jewish prophets who were the forerunners of Jesus coined a mantra that went something like this. The quality of your faith will be judged by the quality of justice in the land. And the quality of justice in the land will be judged by how widows, orphans, and strangers, the three most vulnerable groups in their society, fared while you were alive. And when Jesus described the last judgment at the end of Matthew's gospel, he said our judgment won't be concerned with right doctrine, good theology, church attendance, or even personal piety, but about how we treated the most vulnerable. 
As James Forbes put it, nobody gets to heaven without a letter of reference from the poor. Oh, this is hard. This is heavy. And what do we do with it? I have no prescription today, not by a long shot. And the thing is, Jesus himself avoided giving explicit instruction on what a faithful response looks like. You remember that list of scriptures I I mentioned a little earlier from Luke's gospel? The ones that speak to the issues of rich and poor? So let's break it down. In one case, one case, Jesus advised one man to completely divest and give it all to the poor. He only, the only direct guidance he gave to all his listeners was to invite poor people to dinner. And John the Baptist did say directly to give away clothing and food. Beyond that, every one of those passages was some kind of poetry. Parables, Beatitudes, Proverbs, Mary's song, which we sang just a little while ago. See, it's one of the maddening and wondrous things about Jesus. He points to the way of God, and he leaves it in our laps and in our hands to work out. Here it is, he says. Here is God's will. will deal with it. So how do we deal with it today? Let's admit that given the facts now of industrialism and globalism, the issues of poverty and wealth are more massive and complicated than they ever were in Jesus' day. And so a faithful response to the poor now involves not only some clear decisions about our own personal spending habits and giving habits, which many of us have taken stock of, but also commitments to changing systems and structures And this does touch on who pays how much tax and on what constitutes a living wage and the impact of gentrification on affordable housing and on what kind of health care is available to the poor. And if we don't hear the gospel speaking to these questions, well, it's not the gospel of Jesus we're hearing. We're in the season now at First Baptist Church when we prepare a new annual spending plan that'll begin in July. And uh, also we're having conversations these days, great conversations, spirit-filled conversations about our mission and our facilities and what God would have us do as we mobilize for our future here because we really are blessed to have options. And the more I know of you, my church family, the more confident I am that whatever the shape our discernment together takes in the way of buildings and budgets and missional plans, I know you are paying attention to the presence of God. And God's plans always gather up the poor and the vulnerable. My confidence was strengthened even more this very week when one of our teenagers made this observation. She said, every Sunday on our way into the city for church, I see people sleeping in doorways and on streets. And I can't help but notice that many people experiencing homelessness are black or brown. And I'm coming to this big space 
to worship God, and I don't know what to do with that. Well, I think maybe she knows more than she thinks she knows. And I think we do, too. Two weeks from today, we're going to commission and bless nine people who are heading to the U.S.-Mexico border for a time to listen to and to see and to be as fully present as possible with all whom we meet, especially the vulnerable. And from experience, we already know what some of them are going to say when they return. The group will tell of how the people we went to serve served us and inspired us and freed us and renewed our faith. It happens every time. Christ doesn't call us to the poor only for their sake, but also and maybe in large measure for ours. And so you know what? I'm sorry I cringed when I saw this gospel text for today. It really is the most healing news of all. Thanks be to God. And so Jesus, you're still pronouncing blessing among the poor. And to stand with them truly is to know your blessing. So make us faithful to them and to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.